Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs on the Kingdom that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood against his first century Palestinian Jewish environment. It makes no sense at all to disregard the environment and background and Jesus' heritage in the Old Testament. Jesus spoke as a Jew, and he spoke to Jews. He himself said in John 4.22 that salvation is from the Jews. The Jewish people, with their ancestry in Abraham and the patriarchs, are the recipients of God's information in regard to salvation. It was only to the Jewish people that God granted his oracles. All the prophets of Israel were Jews. Jesus was trained and educated on the basis of the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And according to the half-brother of Jesus, Jude, in verse 3 of his little book towards the end of the New Testament, we as Christians are to earnestly contend for the faith once and for all and decisively given to the saints. According to that verse, we have no authority and no right to invent new teachings we are bound to stick with the teachings of Jesus himself. And the teaching of Jesus is summarized in his principal theme, the kingdom of God. Jesus, in fact, begins his ministry by commanding people to repent and believe in the kingdom. It would be difficult to repent and respond intelligently to Jesus' command to believe in the kingdom in the absence of any understanding of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is traceable to the Old Testament prophets, it was the vision held by every prophet in Israel that the kingdom of God would one day be established as a real messianic Davidic empire on this planet renewed. Daniel chapter 7 gives us a perfect blueprint of God's design for the future. We read there of kingdoms which are going to be superseded by the kingdom of the saints to be headed by the Son of Man, Jesus, and that's a kingdom under the whole heaven, and it will supersede and arise on the ruins of previous man-made empires. Daniel 7.27 states with absolute clarity that the kingdom of God under the whole heaven, that's to say on the earth, will be in the hands of the saints who will rule in perpetuity. There's a great and important principle of Bible study to be recognized here. In deciding what Jesus meant by his favorite term, the kingdom of God, it's a colossal mistake not to go back to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which was in fact the foundation of all that Jesus taught. Jesus, you see, was a historical figure, a real flesh and blood person who walked on this earth as a first century Palestinian Jew. Now, what did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? Unfortunately, the public has been taught to think of the kingdom of God in your heart by pulling certain isolated texts from the New Testament that impression might be gained. But if we start with our roots in the Old Testament, a completely different picture will emerge. In Daniel chapter 7, we learn that there are four pagan empires which are going to be superseded by the kingdom of heaven. And that kingdom of heaven, we learn in Daniel 7.27, is going to operate under the whole heaven, that's to say, on the earth. Now, where else might we look for a definition of the kingdom of God? in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Well, the plain fact is that the kingdom of the Lord is an expression describing the kingdom of Israel ruled by the kings of Israel. 
Let me show you that in First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 4 and 5. David is speaking here, and it's his farewell speech to the nation. And David says, The Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be a leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me to make me a king over Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, God has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Did you catch that? The kingdom of the Lord over Israel. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of the Lord is nothing else than the royal empire of Israel with God's chosen agent presiding over that kingdom as monarch, as sovereign over the kingdom of the Lord in Israel. Solomon sat on the throne of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's agency on the earth. Now we recognize, of course, that Solomon was not sitting on a throne in the sky somewhere. He was resident in Jerusalem as the capital of the kingdom of the Lord. And in verse 6 of 1 Chronicles 28, David goes on, And God said to me, Your son Solomon is the one who is going to build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. And I will establish his kingdom forever, if he resolutely performs my commandments and my ordinances, as is done now. So now in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek after all the commandments of the Lord, your God, in order that you may possess the good land and bequeath it to your sons after you forever. In this great farewell discourse of David, we have all of the elements of the Abrahamic covenant and of the promise of the kingdom as preached by Jesus in the New Testament. We have the promise that there will be a ruler sitting on the kingdom of God in Israel in perpetuity, and the people are urged to obey God and to believe his servants and prophets in order that they may remain on the good land. The land, of course, is the land promised to Abraham in the great covenant made with Abraham, and the promise of the throne and the royal ruler in Israel stems from the great covenant made between God and David in Second Samuel 7. In that passage, of course, God undertook to provide a ruler in perpetuity on the throne of Israel, on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and as long as those kings were obedient to the will of God, they would maintain their office as God's agent and God's representatives as sovereigns over Israel. As we know, the story turned out badly when those Jewish kings failed to observe what God had commanded. Then came Jesus finally as the ultimate representative of the throne of Israel, and Gabriel says to Mary that her son is going to be given the throne of his father David, and he's going to rule forever. There's the promise that the kingdom of God will last forever, exactly as promised in 2 Samuel 7, and exactly as promised in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 13, 15, and 17. You see, the story of the Bible is one coherent drama. Adam was placed on the earth to represent God, to be God's image on this earth, to be God's vice-regent on this earth. Adam failed. 
In a series of disasters, the kings of Israel also failed. There were some notable exceptions, of course. David was a man after God's own heart. In other words, his spirit and his mind were in tune with the will of God because he listened carefully to the words of God. And that's exactly what is expected of Christians. We're to hear the word of God carefully. And that means involving ourselves in daily meditation, pondering the words of God, investigating the scriptures on a daily basis as they did in Berea in Acts 17 verse 11. It's only by immersing ourselves in the word and the words of God that we can hope to gain the mind of God. You remember the famous text in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 23, Wisdom there cries out to us and says, I will pour out my spirit upon you, I will make my words known to you. Do you see there the connection between the words of God and the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God is nothing other than the mind of God operating for our benefit. The Spirit of God interacts with our spirit, with our mind, with our heart to instruct us, to cause us to think like God. Do you remember that in 1 John 5 and verse 20, John observed that Jesus had come to give us an understanding so that we might know God. That understanding comes when we receive the spirit and the mind and the words of God. And it's through faith, that's to say by believing the words of God, that the channels are opened between God and ourselves. Faith comes by hearing, Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, and hearing by Messiah's message, Messiah's gospel of the kingdom of God. Romans 10 verse 17. It's through listening to the word of Messiah, of Christ, that we gain access to the mind of God. The words that I speak to you, Jesus said, are spirit. That's to say they convey spirit and they convey life. They bring the life-giving power, the energy and the vitality of God to us. That's why we should feed on those words daily and take them into our hearts and minds with all diligence. The words of God and the words of Jesus are life-giving words. They are carriers of energy. The word is at work in our minds and hearts, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And King David, as the sweet psalmist of Israel, said that the Spirit of the Lord had spoken by him, and God's word was on his tongue. The experience of speaking the very words of God was common to all the prophets in Isaiah 59 verse 21. The Lord said to Isaiah, My spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, will not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. We see in this passage the absolute value attached to the words of God. And the word of God is concentrated in the message and the word of Christ, the gospel about the kingdom of God. In Luke 8 and verse 11, we read that the seed which must take root in our heart is in fact the gospel of the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, verse 19. It's when the kingdom of God message takes root in our heart that the devil is busy trying to snatch it away from us so that, as Luke reports in Luke 8, 12, we should not believe it and be saved. We may safely say then that salvation depends upon exercising faith in the word and words of God and of Jesus. And faith, of course, implies intelligent understanding. And that in itself implies searching and investigating, crying out for understanding, so that as Proverbs 1.23 says, 
the word of wisdom, the spirit of wisdom may be poured out upon us. It's in this manner that we shall develop the mind and the character of Jesus and eventually be fit to rule with him in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns to establish it on this earth. I'm sure you'll remember that Jesus said, unless we are born again, we cannot enter the kingdom. The question is, how does one become born again? And the answer is that rebirth depends upon a seed. The initiation of new life depends in turn upon the reception of the gospel about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, verse 19, and Luke 8, 12, show beyond any question that the seed which must lodge in our hearts to create that new life, the life of rebirth, that seed is the message, the word, the creative activity of God's word concerning the kingdom of God, Jesus' favorite topic. Peter remarked in 1 Peter 1, 23-25, that we've been born again by exposure to the gospel, the gospel which was preached to us. That's exactly what Jesus has said. Rebirth depends on believing the message of the kingdom of God. In so doing, we become born of the Spirit. The Spirit is nothing other than the mind and the plan and the purpose of God revealed to us in the pages of Scripture, because Scripture is itself the inspirited Word of God, the inspired Word of God. I've written a book on the kingdom which we'd like to send to you for your personal Bible study at home. You may also want to request a tape of the program you've been listening to. We urge you to check the scriptures we've been mentioning carefully in your own Bible study at home and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.